Hey everyone, welcome again to a Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I'm Tasha Anderson, the host, and I have a special guest today. Uh, we're gonna be talking about all things Chief Development Officer. And I have Linda from Let's Build Hope. Linda, like me, left the world of working for a nonprofit, started her own consulting firm, um, specializing in developing fundraising plans, initiatives, and also helping to develop what an effective leader within the organization, specifically on the development side. So today we're gonna to talk specifically about chief development officers, Linda, and I've gotten some of the burning questions that I get all the time as I work with, with my clients, certainly, and I know people are reaching out to you for the same thing. about all things CDO today. So I think the first thing is there's a lot of claims on people that, that, that the claim to be fundraising specialists. And one of the things I liked about you right out of the gate was I knew this is a woman that knows what she's talking about. And I work with a lot of fundraising people and I work with a lot of fundraising people that don't understand the numbers. And one thing that stood out to me with you, Linda, is the fact that you really seem to get it. You get the numbers, uh, you, you run the math, you know the drills, and you know that it's really kind of a math equation at the end of the day, even though you're a relationships expert, right? So can you help us understand the differences between things like a development associate, a director of development, a chief development officer, and how we know when we're talking to these different roles, really what their skill sets are, because not everybody is an expert in all these things. Absolutely not. You certainly don't start out that way. And I was super lucky and have had some spectacular mentors who taught me about analytics right off the bat. Otherwise, I, would, I too would be spinning around out there after 25 years. Um, really, the differences are when you look at a development coordinator or associate, that's a person who can get the tasks done, right? Okay, they can get the letters out, they can get the data entered, they can take care of the, the behind the scenes stuff at the events. That's, that's sort of what a development coordinator does. That was my first job. I was a development coordinator. So I totally get that many, many people start there. Usually when we see a great development coordinator, they have good people skills. We start to think, hmm, well, if they have good people skills and people like them and they're really good on follow up and follow through, maybe they'd be a good development director. And that's a person who can build an annual fundraising plan, right? They can say, how do I manage the grants and the events and major gifts and have a giving club and get the gala done? And they can kind of spin a lot of plates, interact properly with other people, handle board members and big donors, you know, kind of run the program day to day and then manage usually a few staff. And that's sort of a, a director of development. You get to the chief level. First, you're looking for people with a lot of experience. And we always say, watch for professional um, successful experience. You know, lots of people are in development, but when you look at their resumes, every 18 months, they have a new job. Mm. That should be a red flag for you. I mean, you know, people who get in development at a place and get to know the donors and the board, they want to stay. You get the relationship started. It's so much easier to raise money. So if they're jumping around, that's sort of a first red flag for me when it comes yeah. to looking for a chief. Um, when you say a good chief, they think strategically. That's one of the key things. They're part of the leadership team, usually the CEO's right-hand man or woman, uh, when the CEO is thinking about adding a program, innovating, uh, financial issues where there are gaps, if United Way cuts your funding, a good strategic chief development officer is going to know how you think through that. Not just say, oh, yeah, we can raise that money, no problem. There's always a problem raising extra money. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a problem. You have to figure out a strategy. You can't just say, oh, yeah, sure, we can raise $500,000 more, no problem. And when someone says that, I can do it, no problem. That's mm -hmm. the first tip off for me that Ooh, maybe not, because, you know, as you said, it's all about the numbers. At the end of the day, you kind of can't hide it when you when you fail at fundraising. So those are the kinds of delineations between the three three jobs. I think that's really helpful, um, and, and I think that applies to so many different types of functions within a nonprofit. But sometimes mm -hmm. they just look at their background or their previous jobs and not really think about what their skills are. 
So then of course, there's always this tipping point I see with organizations where they might have a development associate at some point and, and they're trying to decide whether it's complexity of the organization, goals of the organization, the size of the organization, when should an organization consider hiring a director of development and not just use an assistant or an associate? Yeah, of course, um, as a fundraiser, I'm a little biased. I think you should always have a chief development officer <laughs> after you have the CEO, that's the next person. Because if you are dependent on money, which most of us are, you're gonna need to raise money effectively. And a development associate, again, is gonna be able to produce tasks, but they're not gonna know how to build programs. And that really makes me nervous. So even with our small clients, we have a few clients that are you know, around the $500,000 mark budget-wise. And we say to them, cause they'll come to us and say, Linda, you want, we want you to help us raise money. And I'm like, that's fine, CEO. Are you gonna spend 70 to 80% of your time doing that? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I don't have time for that. Well, <laughs> then someone's gonna to have to have time for that. And it can't just be someone who can do basic tasks. It has to be someone who can spend a lot of plates and build a program and, and interact with sort of higher level people. So yeah. yeah, kind of right off the bat, we say you should really be thinking of it. Now, if your organization is growing and your organization is trying to figure out its next level, that's when I start looking at a chief. Okay, you've been a million dollar organization for five years, eight years, you really wanna to go to a new place. A person who's development director, again, is gonna be able to execute the plan and build that basic plan, but to really think strategically about how would we get donors to do more? How would we help you build a board that's stronger and can move around the community and get you connections? You're going to need somebody with some more strategy. So it's, those are kind of the things I look for. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the red flags and interviewing is key, right? And so can you share any other tips or things to look for or things to, to, to look for to not want, right? <laughs> Either to the good or to the bad mm -hmm. when yeah. looking to add that, you know, chief development officer, what are some, if you were doing the interviewing, what, what kind of questions or more specific things that you, you would be looking for to make sure that we get the right hire the first time rather than hiring the wrong person and then having yeah. to rebuild that function? Right. Um, well, I would say, and it's a little harder on Zoom, I have to say, I give people a little more grace because Zoom's a little tougher, but face-to-face, mm -hmm. -face, if I don't really like you a lot in the first 30 seconds, I'm not hiring you, period. Mm -hmm. Because when we meet donors, we have to have a presence. We have to have an ability to connect with human beings because our job is relationships. Now, the data is behind all of that. But if we don't have relationships with donors, we can't move the gifts, right? There's no way. Mm -hmm. And people have to trust us. And we have to have integrity and all those things. And I feel like I always say to my clients, if you don't want to have a beer with them in the first 30 seconds, you probably need to keep on moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because that's their job, really, to connect with other people and to get them inspired and excited to give to your nonprofit. So that's the first thing. Second. And this is sort of the red flag side. Most people in development are salespeople. They're friendly, they're outgoing, they're charming, and you get charmed and you're desperate for somebody to help you. And before you know it, you know, you sort of bought the snake oil, as we like to say, and you don't realize this person hasn't actually ever executed effectively, right? We see, again, a lot of people who do job hopping. Um, one of the things I do is I ask them exactly how much money did you raise last year? Mm -hmm. And if they say, oh, you know, about $900,000, that also makes me nervous. Because mm -hmm. I would be able to tell you in my last, my, <laughs> one of my last chief jobs, actually my, 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 kind of my favorite chief job, I raised 776510 my first year. Like mm -hmm. I still remember to a dollar how much money to raise because mm -hmm. that's my job to raise money. So when someone can't tell me that, that makes me nervous. If they tell me they've done it on their own, I've got it. I, I ran the scala. I did these major gifts. I got this. That makes me nervous because there's no I in, in the team of fundraising. It's all about everybody sure. together, right? And mm -hmm. so that's another sort of red flag for me. 
Uh, I do like people who have sort of strong left and right brain, especially when I'm looking for chiefs. They have mm -hmm. to have some creativity, you know, it's ability to kind of come up with inspiring cool things, but yeah. they also have to be able to handle the data. Like, you know, right. if right. I can't show you exactly how much money I'm going to raise every month, that also makes me nervous. And that's a tough combination. You know, sometimes in fundraisers, we see great people who are outgoing and wonderful and creative, and then they can't do the data. Or we see people great at data who aren't very warm and social. And, and so, you know, sometimes you have to backfill with a, you know, chief development officer and then somebody below them that kind of balances that out. But I'm looking for both. To me, that's sort of, we call that sort of the unicorn, you know, that really yes. great left and right brain thinker that can do both those things. Yeah, it's really easy to find, to piggyback off that, because I've had a, some very similar experiences. And I could think just a handful of, of chief development officers that really have that number crunching analytical side of the brain. What are some of the things that you look at to, to, to tell that that actually exists? Because I think the charm and the relationship kind of, that, you know, draws us in and think this person's going to be excellent. And then you realize when they get into that role, they, they, that they lack like the organization um, or the, dis the self-discipline to track these numbers or, um, you know, even just kind of using basic Excel spreadsheets or, you know, some mechanism or tool or even developing the tool, right. To, to measure their data. And I've often struggled with this particular industry, because I always look at the chief development person as the chief salesperson. And mm -hmm. I, then I, and then I think about in a much larger world that what other company that I think fortune 500 company, if you have the VP of sales, which is essentially the development, you know, right. CDO and only in the nonprofit space have I seen where the head of sales never knows the sales. Right, uh, not not just on the programmatic side, but even mm -hmm. many organizations are strictly fundraising, as you know, between mm -hmm. events and and you know public support. And I've worked with chief development officers that have no understanding about year over year or their composition of sales or that trended better or worse than what we thought, or even a an actual strategic plan for how they're going to achieve those goals, not a specific, I've sat down, I've gone through the donor list, I, I've identified who's going to be giving what. And that was something that really stuck out to me because you, I, I heard you talk one time and I said, oh my gosh, this person gets it. So how do you, and I think sometimes, especially if the chief executive officer isn't always thinking naturally to that space, mm -hmm. now the CFO is, right? But um, what are some of the things that you, just to really nail on the, the data part, because that's the piece I think that's oftentimes missing in my opinion that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I think a key question for a chief development officer candidate is how do you set the fundraising goal, mm -hmm. right? And if they say, well, whatever you guys need, we go get it. Mm -hmm. Then you know you're in trouble because, you know, you and I met the first time and, and I said, how much money do you guys need? And then I said, let's back into how much money we can get based on the donors that you have and the activities that you can do and the staff resources and the, and the dollar resources, you know, how much can you actually get accomplished and there is a little wiggle room in that, you know, donors sometimes will go a little further if you can inspire them, but there's not, if you want $2 million, unless you raise 1.1, there's gotta be strategies and people, right? Behind Absolutely. raising that new money. So the minute they can't tell me how they set projections, I know we're in trouble. The other question I say is how do you, how do you track your um, dollars throughout the year so that you know you're sort of staying on track and keeping in line with your goals? Uh, because what we see a lot is people call us near the end of the fiscal panicked because they're 80 off their goal or 250 off their goal or 400 off their goal and then want magic fundraising, right? To fill that in, you know, we'll sure. write a grant or help us do major gifts real quick. And, well, that's not how that works. And so, you know, I'm looking for that. Like we have a tool we, we internally call the keep your job tool that helps us literally to a dollar every month know how much money 
we're supposed to be raising. And if we're off, we can see from the tool why we're off. If we projected a $25,000 grant from the Sci Foundation and they ended up not giving it, we, we can say, wow, we're gonna have to fill, fill that gap or we just didn't hear from them yet. Well, so mm -hmm. we know that too. And so those are the kinds of things I look for. I'm looking for somebody who has strategy. They might do it exactly the way I do it, but they need to have sure. strategies that say, I have planned this to a dollar. And if they haven't done that, they say, well, we can grow by usually 10 or 15%. I would run. <laughs> that makes me very nervous. I love that because as the, the financial person, right? Uh, I used to work for a nonprofit. I would always have the board ask me the questions why fundraising is underperforming. I would have to explain why the projections are off. And I always thought that was so backwards. It is. Of course, I, I understood and I would dive deeper into the information. But um, really, for anybody that's listening, I think if if your finance director is, is driving all of those conversations and your development, you know, the head of your development should generally know to your point, a, a great person would know exactly why we're off from projections, whether it's a permanent difference that we need to triage, right. um, or it's just a temporary, we thought this money was going to come in in March, and, and they're actually now saying it's going to come in in June. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not really a problem. And I, I right. think uh, one of the things that frustrates me most, and I do try to get at this in an interview, is um, if something goes wrong, because it does, you know, like COVID is a perfect example. We have a client that has been getting a very large gift from a guy who owns a company for years and he goes up every year. They've cultivated him beautifully. They've done a great job and his mm -hmm. business has taken a real significant hit. Mm -hmm. He normally gives 40, 50, 60,000, which for them is a large gift. And this year he couldn't give any. Mm -hmm. And so the development officer called and, and sort of told me that. And I said, well, here's the key. No excuses. If a donor says no, then your job is to find other donors to fill mm -hmm. that gap. Mm -hmm. Your job is not to say, oh, poor me, the donor said no. Now, don't get me wrong, if it's the last month of the year and somebody pulls a $200,000 gift, I know you can't fix that, but I don't buy excuses. And I feel like people who are good chief development officers are results oriented and are mm -hmm. always on their game and on their toes. And the truth is you should know that guy is struggling, right? If you're in touch with your donors, you'll know mm -hmm. his business isn't doing well. So you won't expect a gift. You're like, whoa, I'm gonna have to cover his 50 because it's gonna be gone. Mm -hmm. So I really do try to poke into how do you handle it when things go wrong? You know, sure. when you have a sure. snowstorm on the night of the gala, right? And you mm -hmm. thought it was gonna produce 350 that night and it produces two, right? Mm -hmm. Now you have an issue, but that's not a, well, it's not my fault. You know, it is mm -hmm. your, it's not your fault. It's your, it's your responsibility, right? Right. As a chief yeah. officer. So those I, are the kinds of things that I ask. I like to say that all the time. It's not our fault, but it's our problem. So. It <laughs> that's right. So switching gears, something else that I've noticed that I think is a challenge with respect to the development department as a whole, based on my um, non-fundraising perspective is the fact that many organizations combine their marketing, their communications, their PR with their fundraising all within one person or, or one or two people. What are your thoughts on that? I tell most nonprofits to be extremely careful about doing that because what I've found over the years is that people who say they're the chief development and marketing officer, well, at the end of the year where they failed on their number, talk about all the glowing successes in marketing. Mm -hmm. And I don't care anything about the glowing successes of marketing if we can't pay the bills, yes. right? And yes. so what I always say is my preferred way of managing it, and even a small nonprofit, is to have a chief development officer. They can supervise marketing, but there's a marketing director who handles marketing, right? Mm -hmm. The chief development officer oversees that, makes sure it's going on, kind of covers the strategy, but has no day-to-day -day responsibility for it because 
her job or his job is to raise the money to make sure that the board right. is engaged and do what's supposed to. So yeah, I'm, I'm extremely nervous when somebody says I'm great at marketing. I'm like, well, then go get a marketing job because this is fundraising, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. marketing supports fundraising, uh, but you also need marketing for your programs, right? So if you've got yeah. your chief development officer figuring out how to fill the beds at your at your nursing home, instead of raising the dollars, then you're mad they don't raise the dollars. So I'm like, well, you know exactly. what? Can't do everything, you know? So I'm, I'm really reticent to have those things go together. I agree. And I think, I think that oftentimes people don't realize those are really two completely different skill sets, right? Yes. You, a lot of times I see that a fundraising director of development or a CDO is responsible for graphic design. They're, they're responsible for copy on newsletters. They're responsible for developing programmatic brochures. They're responsible for, I mean, just social media management, all of these things. And they are really completely different skill sets. I've met very personable director of development roles that would be great with relationship building. They're not even necessarily great at writing. Mm -hmm. They're not a great grant writer. Mm -hmm. they, they, they lack some of the, right. um, you know, that, that's a completely different skill set. You might be really great at public speaking, right. but you're not necessarily a great creative writer, right? right. Um, or you might be really good at graphic design, but you're afraid to ask for money. I've right. seen that, right? You, you have the creative brain because you're a good marketer, but you mm -hmm. would never ask somebody in a sit-down meeting for right. a $20,000 yeah. gift. Right. And, and I think that by merging all of those things together, and then you add on things like volunteer management and you know all these other things, you know, um, mm -hmm. the list is endless really, right? Mm -hmm. With, with yeah. the director and fundraising role that I, I think people sometimes think, oh, well, it's about getting the word out on the organization and bringing dollars in, but they're very separate skill sets and to expect excellence in all those areas, um, it's right. going to be really difficult. Right. Well, and not just excellence, but sheer time. I mean, if you want me to raise a couple million dollars, it's going to take me 60 hours a week all year long. I, and then to say, I'm really going to dive deep into marketing or deep into social media right. or, or deep into that. Like we tell our, our clients all the time, we rarely hire full-time grant writers or full-time events people. We hire contractors, pay them when they're working, high level, very experienced. So as a chief development officer, I can spin that plate without too much effort. Because if I dig down into what the color of the linens are at the gala, I'm not going to raise $100,000 gifts. I'm not going right. to have time to build those relationships. Right. That takes time and systems and effort. And so those are the kinds of things, you know, um, to your point, people who do development and do it well, speak well and write well. That's our job. Really, we speak mm -hmm. and write to get money. That's our job. Mm -hmm. But to ask me to design something, I can't. I don't have any strength at all. I have no spatial or relational. I couldn't do it. And I would never try to. I can tell a designer how I'd like something to feel, right? This is what right. I'd like the owner to feel. And then I let the professionals do their job, right? And, and then so, you can give feedback on, I absolutely. like that or I don't like that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting. I, I remember working with an organization and their chief development officer was consistently um, underperforming on the fundraising goals. Mm -hmm. And yet she was going to food tastings at their mm -hmm. gala and having gala meetings every month, you know, planning meetings. And we didn't hit the mark on the gala goal. And we certainly didn't meet the other operating budget, right? But but that's where things like event planners, and, and I think some people look at that, well, that's an expense, but, and we could do a whole episode just on opportunity <laughs> costs, right? Um, yes, it is an expense, but what are you giving up for your CDO to be present at, you know, a, a food tasting for your gala, so. Well, and you might spend 10 to 12,000 on an event contractor for a year to do, to do the gala for you, to kind of do all the behind the scenes. Yeah, you'll have to attend meetings and schmooze volunteers and all that, but your job is to fundraise. 
mm-hmm. not to pick lemons or go to the taste. I mean, I've been to the tasting mostly to sit next to the big donor, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm there for. I don't care what we're eating. You know, I, anybody can pick that out, you know? Uh, but I also think people have a tendency to skew toward what they like and skew mm-hmm. away from things that scare them. And, you know, often we go in places and we find fundraisers who really don't like to ask for money. And I yeah. always want to say, why are you in this job? Like, I didn't like asking for money at the beginning. In fact, I remember telling my first mentor, there's no way I'm ever going to ask for money. And I've spent 25 years doing it. Once I learned to do it, once I did it a few times, I became good at it. And I am competitive and I like the rush, you know, and I think a lot of good fundraisers are those kinds of people. They like that rush. They like results. They like to win. You know, and so when I'm looking for somebody who's going to really be asking for the money, sometimes I'm looking for that too. So Yeah, absolutely. I've had the same experience that fundraisers don't always like to ask for money, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, last question I have, and I, and I hear this all the time, um, speaking of kind of delegation, that the CEOs sometimes assume or expect a chief development officer to be responsible for all things fundraising, right? <laughs> the CEO is not responsible for asking for gifts or participating in any sort of major giving or donor relations. Where does this thought process go wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think partially kind of in a couple places for CEOs. One, most of the time they haven't done it. They don't, they're afraid, they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, two, they're super, super busy and small nonprofits. Often there's not, you know, big staff of people. Sometimes they don't have an admin, even they're setting their own meetings and things. Um, sometimes they're still kind of running the whole organization. They have maybe 10 or 12 direct reports. There's a lot of things that keep them busy, but I also think they don't know how to, and they don't understand, especially if, nonprofits don't have a major gifts program, you know, where they might be getting gifts, but they don't have a program. They don't understand when you start asking for investment gifts from a big donor, they don't want to see the development officer. They don't care about me being there, right? I've been the chief development officer a lot. And at the end of the day, when the big gift is coming, the donor wants to know what is the CEO going to do with my money, right? Is he or she somebody I can trust? Can they execute? Are they strategic? You know, are they going to sit here and really engage with me and then make me feel confident they're going to use my gift in the way I intend it? And a development officer can't do that. I can't guarantee that. I can tell them I hope so, and I'll try to shepherd it through. So when it comes to the end of the day, it has to be the, the CEO. You just have to have them. And we say all the time in our class, the CEO-CDO relationship at a nonprofit might be the most important one. You guys need to be big buds and really have each other's backs, work closely together. CEOs are going to have to spend we tell our clients, we try to get them up to 40 to 60%. If we could have 70% of their time, we'd want it. And we'd like to have a COO or somebody kind of run the day-to-day because sure. the development officer knows if you've got the CEO in the seat with the big donor, you have a much better shot at getting the gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, you now own your own consulting firm. I own my own consulting firm. And even though we are the founders and CEOs, our number one goal is sales. And I think the same applies in a nonprofit world that the CEO, despite all of the many hats they must wear, at the end of the day, their single most important job is to make sure that revenue and money is coming into the organization. So I, I think there's a lot of a lot of times where people might say, well, it's a nonprofit versus a for-profit. But to me, I've, I've worked in both industries um, and now I run my own business, even though I'm a CPA by education. But you know, somebody once said to me, you're no longer an accountant, you're, you know, of sales. So I think the same applies in the nonprofit world. So Mm -hmm. Linda, you've shared so much. I think it's really clear that you've done this a really long time and you know what you're talking (laughs) about. And I'm sure that there are people on here listening that might want to understand if I wanted to pick Linda's brain a little bit more about some of these things, how would people 
um, get in touch with you or what, what is the best resource that, you know, you might want to share or. Yeah, they can absolutely go to the website, lbh-stl.com anytime, or just type in Google in let's build hope and you'll find us. We're right there. We come up right to the top. Uh, certainly you can always call the office directly. Um, and you can find that on our website. Um, we really meet with anybody. We've met with people who don't even have a nonprofit yet who are trying to do it all the way up to big universities and, and um, large institution here in St. Louis and, and really throughout the country though we are mostly local and regional on purpose because I worked at a consulting firm before where I worked nationally and it was exhausting. <laughs> the travel was exhausting. So I, and I love the St. Louis community and I wanna help strengthen it. So they can always reach out directly to us through the website. Great. And I wanna do another shameless plug. Linda's a little modest about it but she has an amazing boot camp for you know individuals and especially right now with COVID, I think you're doing some virtual options too. So for some of us that aren't local, yeah. um, I don't know if you'll have any of those options available for people that are, are non-local. I know you're kind of evaluating that as this yeah. has forced us to go right. virtual in this world. Yes. Um, so all of that information also is on your website too. It right? is, yeah. We've been doing the boot camp for since we started the company seven and a half years ago. Um, we've had 24 classes and put over 500 nonprofit professionals board members, CEOs and development officers are the main people that we see and development team members, but also board members, which is key. Um, the class happens uh, for sure three times a year, February, July, and October. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a 40 hour class. So you come every day, all day. And if you don't wanna attend, you can attend virtually. Our last class, I think there were 43, which is much larger than we normally allow it to be, but with Zoom, we can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and last time we provided a hybrid option so people could come here to the office and sit if they wanted to, or they could do it online. And we did actually have six people from out of state last time. So we are, the virtual is gonna, COVID is actually gonna do something nice for us, which is make us go ahead and, and make it national. But yeah, it's um, it's sort of fundraising start to finish. It's pretty linear. It talks about sort of all the things that have to happen even before you fundraise so that you can be effective uh, all the way up to soft skills and how to handle, you know, challenging donors and things like that. So yeah, it's really, great. It's really great. It's, it's really fun actually, believe it or not. I know 40 hours sounds like a long time, but people really love it and we love it um, and are, are really proud of it. Well, that's how I met you, Linda, sort of, was through <laughs> a client of mine had gone through, had some tr troubles with fundraising, um, went to Linda's boot camp and raved and raved and raved. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that um, client ended up hiring your firm to help. And, and now we're kind of working on this project together and has have already had amazing success. So. Nice. Thank you for all the work that you're doing for the nonprofits, but also joining us today to kind of give us a little bit more insight to how to hire the right position when we don't know what we don't know. If we're not a CDO, we've never been a CDO. What right. like, and that's really what you do. And so thank you for sharing some of your words of wisdom. We appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. Thanks so much, Linda. Thank you. Appreciate it.